the British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Live from Chrissy's World Headquarters, it's the British TV podcast show number 15. It is. Welcome to my living room. I'm Ryan in Seattle. And Chrissy in Seattle. Welcome back, Chrissy. Thank you. How was Vegas? It was fabulous. Real recharging and fun time for my sister and I to get away. What'd you do? I gamble a little bit. I like to play the video slots. I send, I play the same $5 over and over again. My sister really likes shopping. She likes the sights. She likes to go to anything with animals or fish. So we do that. We had a spa day. We ate well a couple times. Ate cheaply a bunch of times too and enjoyed that as well and saw a show. It was a really nice four days. There's some real bargains there now because they're Mm -hmm. way down in tourism, right? Yeah. Seattle is about a two-hour flight from Vegas, and I got our two tickets and four nights at a mid-strip hotel for just over $500, so highly recommended. The last time I went, it cost us that each for a similar trip, so... Now, you were there the day that the Consumer Electronics Show started. Did you... We were leaving just the day as they were setting up, and it, it was... They were gearing up for it. We saw that we knew it was going to happen, but the crowds hadn't hit by the time ah. we took off yet. Well, it's uh, 2010, or are you, are you saying 2010? Oh, probably 2010. Okay. Well, you want to fight? I don't know. There's a big controversy about it. I'm I'm going to be uh, contrary and call it the teens. Although, okay. I'll be like, well, it's 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 a zero, isn't a teen? Like, look, by the end of the decade, it'll be the teens. You can call these the tweens if you want, but I'm I'm just getting ahead of the curve here by calling it the tweens. So this week we have news, what's on British TV this week, what's running in the United States, DVD releases, and a feature on how to get TV for Britain, and is it legal? All right. You can let me know. Yeah. We have an interesting interview that will describe it all. So news, Jonathan Ross has announced he is quitting the BBC after 13 years. He said he's stepping down from his Friday night chat show, Radio 2 show, and film review program for which he was paid a reported £6 million a year. So this kind of opens up a bigger thing, which is the BBC is under a lot of scrutiny right now because they are worried that the Tories are going to come to power. Well, the Tories are probably going to win the election in June. And there's been a lot of criticisms over how much people make at the BBC. In fact, David Cameron, who is the head of the Tory party, has said that no public servant should make more money than prime minister. Oh, all right. <laughs> well, and a lot of people at the BBC, you know, the, the executives and the talent make a lot more than the Prime Minister of Britain makes. Mm-hmm. Can they treat the BBC like it's the sewer department? It's kind of interesting. I've read things in the past where, for instance, Frank Skinner worked for the Beeb for a long time, and then he went over to ITV, and it was alleged he was doing it to make more money, and he was abandoning the BBC that had nurtured his career. But then you have a other cases where people like Graham Norton leave Channel 4 and go to the BBC. So I've never really understood. Well, Graham Norton's getting $2 million a year, mm-hmm. and apparently that's 500,000 pounds less than what he got last year. Mm-hmm. But still, quite a bit more than what the Prime Minister of Britain makes. Yes. I don't see how this is going to make TV better by dumbing down the BBC, getting rid of everybody who has talent, and paying them less. You know, all this does is help ITV, but how does that help television in general? The BBC is very unique, I would say, in the world. Obviously, it is funded from the mandatory TV license fee, which is not cheap. It's 143 pounds, I think, right now, which is what, about $250 mm-hmm. a year per house. That's that's real money. But you sure get a lot for it. And, of course, the Tories would love nothing better than to get rid of the TV license fee and have the BBC put ads on and support itself like all the other independent channels. And how does that make television better? Not that you're going to vote Tory, but I'm just saying. I'm just throwing that out there. So that's my two cents worth. So Jonathan Ross is just sort of a symptom of a much bigger problem, which is picking on the BBC. And he's still going to be around until June anyway. His contract yeah. isn't run out until then. So he's on this Friday night. So he's not immediately off the BBC. And then Nigel Lithgow was also in the paper saying he thinks Jonathan Ross should come to the United States and do something here. Or he might be lured by ITV. They offered him a lot of money last time, and as did Channel 4. So he'll, he'll, he'll be around. And he's still going to host the BAFTAs, and he'll do comic relief. And so you, people will still see him on TV. Now, about more than 10 years ago, Politically Incorrect went to the UK for a week. And there were I watched all the episodes. 
And Jonathan Ross and Graham Norton were guests on an episode. And I had a pen pal at that time who was pretty close to Graham Norton and said that Graham's got just a ton of interest from the Americans from his appearance on that show. And yet I thought the star of that particular episode, politically incorrect, was Jonathan Roth's. I thought he killed. So I was always kind of surprised. He wasn't the one that they were trying to lure over here just based on the... Well, 10 years ago, Jonathan Ross did. would have had a golden handcuffs with the BBC, yeah. whereas Graham Norton would have been a bit more of a free agent because he was still with Channel 4. And uh, offers from the United States would have sounded a lot more enticing. Mm-hmm. There were record ratings for news last week because of the snow and low temperatures keeping people inside and in front of the television in Britain. The regional news on BBC One on January 6th scored a whopping 10.3 million viewers, making it one of the highest rated shows of the week. EastEnders was getting figures of 11 million viewers last Tuesday, and over on Coronation Street, 10.6 million people were turning in. So it's more than at Christmas, which is usually the peak viewing time. So mm-hmm. cold weather helps ratings. And they've had quite a bit of it there, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> NBC is considering a remake of Prime Suspect based on the award-winning British series centering around a courageous female detective who investigates complex mysteries in the politically explosive big city. Casting will be announced later. The pilot will be produced by Universal Media Studios and ITV. Hank Steinberg, without a trace, and Edwin Stoff, the blind side, are the executive producers. Hmm. So I think that the rampant sexism that existed in Prime Suspect wouldn't be quite the same as the United States, especially here in the 21st century. you got to have someone like Helen Mirren in there. Although there's plenty of good middle-aged actresses, and yeah. certainly Cable is luring them in. I mean, you get Glenn Close on weekly television now, damages and things like that. So they, there's there's parts for people, I suppose. But, of course, we will tell people, watch the original. Always the original. BBC America has announced on its website that they're planning to release both seasons of the update of Survivors on DVD soon, as well as the original 1970s version. Cool, get rid of all those crappy VHS copies we have. The new version of Survivors will begin its U.S. run on February 13th, and presumably the DVDs will follow soon afterwards. That's kind of cool. They're going to re-release the old ones. I I don't know the old ones. I have them all. Very much 70s television, you know, film on the outside, video on the inside. It's interesting because it had no music except for the title music. Mm. So 60-minute episodes, no music, which gave it a certain reality sort of feel of it. It's not a perfect series, and it's a bit dated, but it was very interesting. And interesting to see Terry Nation doing something other than Daleks. Mm-hmm. Or Blake Seven. <laughs> What's on TV for the week of January 13th to the 19th? Wednesday, a new sitcom set in the advertising world, The Persuasionist, starts on BBC Two at 10pm. And it features and was directed by Adam Buxton from The Adam and Joe Show. Well, I like Adam and Joe very, very much. I think my favorite thing they ever did was go to Tokyo. Oh, yes. But- and, of course, um, Adam's great grisly end in the film of Hot Fuzz is a, another highlight, but I'll watch it. I like Adam, and I like Joe, separately or together. Sometimes when I catch glimpses of Adam Buxton, I'll think, oh, it's Alan Carr. Like, no, no, it's because they had that kind of same square-jawed face. Mm. But we'll see if the uh, persuasionist becomes required cult viewing or not. Thursday, Material Girl, based on the Babylon novels from Imogene Edwards-Jones, debuts on BBC One. It takes a look at the fashion industry, a la The Devil Wears Prada, this time with Derville Kerwin as the fashionista, as seen through the eyes of a young apprentice, played by Lenora Critchlow. The Radio Times blurb is Hotel Babylon with Manolo Blaintnicks on. Lenora oh. Critchlow, she was Sugar in Sugar Rush, right? Oh, okay. And then was in the Gridlock episode of Doctor Who. I think she is a fantastic actress. I thought she really just nailed it, especially in the second series of Sugar Rush, and I couldn't understand why we weren't seeing more of her. So, Sugar Rush was a Channel 4 series about a young girl who develops a crush on her best friend. Whose name is Maria Sweet, but is called Sugar, and so that was the part played by Lenora. And great, glad to see her on television. I can watch more of her anytime. Cool. And Derva Kerwin, of course, was in Valley Kiss Angel and Goodnight Sweetheart, many other Irish dramas. Material Girls followed by Silent Witness on BBC One with a two-part story that concludes Friday night. And Friday brings us the Stephen Fry-hosted comedy quiz show QI on BBC One with Joe Brand, Rob Bryden, Sean Locke, and Alan Davies as the contestants this week. And 
It followed by Silent Witness. On Channel 4, Jimmy Carr's quiz show, 8 out of 10 Cats, continues. And Friday Night with Jonathan Ross is back. We're not done with him yet. His guests include Ray Winstone, Catherine Tate, and Arlene Phillips. Saturday, there's an interesting documentary on BBC Two called The Legacy of Lawrence of Arabia, where a Harvard professor compares the events of World War I in the Middle East with today's world. Sounds cool mm-hmm. and educational. Sunday, Lark Rise to Candleford continues on BBC One, and it's followed by Kenneth Branagh as Wallander. Over on ITV One, Wild at Heart continues. And on BBC Three, more of the second season of Being Human. Did you see Being Human? No. Okay. Howard chimed in with his review last time. I've only seen the first episode. And apparently there's a pilot for the first episode as well, which is differently cast. Monday, the documentary series The Lakes continues on ITV1. And in 9, you have some tough choices, but there's something for everyone. On BBC1, there's Hustle. Law & Order UK is on ITV1. Channel 4 has Gordon's Great Escape, which sees Gordon Ramsay in India. It continues on Tuesday night. And on Channel 5 is Paul Merton in Europe. Tuesday, not much. Match of the day preempts Survivors on BBC One. On BBC America this week, Friday night, there's Top Gear repeats. The new season begins on January 25th. And Friday night with Jonathan Ross. There's more Top Gear on Monday. Saturday, Demons continues, followed by The Graham Norton Show. We were joking about Philip Glenister's American Accent and Demons last week. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. PBS has returned to Cranford on Masterpiece Classic, Sundays on most PBS stations. On January 24th, there'll be Emma, and we will have a special preview of it with our own Jane Austen expert, Kate, next week. Oh, good. You'll all get to meet Kate. Yes. Bone Kickers, which I mentioned last week, starring Julie Graham and Adrian Lester, is now in syndication on PBS stations. Check your local listings to see if it's showing near you. The Independent Film Channel is running the second season of The IT Crowd, weeknights at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. I was quite excited to see that was back on their schedule again. Oh, good. After I picked it as the best comedy of the last decade, so here's your chance to see it if you get the IFC. The fifth season of Shameless continues Friday on the Sundance Channel. And Adult Swim at 1 a.m. Sunday night continues running Look Around You. And don't forget, Ricky Gervais is hosting the Golden Globe Awards Sunday night on NBC, which is blessedly showing it live across the country. No three-hour tape delay in the West Coast, which causedly vexes us. They've been really promoting it very, very heavily, and with Ricky Gervais there like they expect people that should know who he is Mm -hmm. although i'd probably say he's more of a movie star than a tv star he's appeared he did an episode of the simpsons Mm -hmm. he did a guest star in an episode of alias he hasn't really done other television like mainstream network television here but he's been in a lot of movies because he's been in the night of the museum movies the invention of lying and on Letterman a gazillion times, because Letterman just loves him. Right, okay. So he's done a lot of chat show appearances. Mm-hmm. But they're certainly treating him like, you know, here's somebody you should know who he's going to be. And I bet he's going to be really funny. I think he's going to be great. And his new animated series begins next month on HBO. They've been running very funny trailers where they say, well, it's not as good as The Simpsons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> DVD releases. In the Loop, the movie based on the comedy The Thick of It, but set in America this time as... James Gandolfini, and the hilarious and profane Peter Capaldi. Love Peter Capaldi. We would not be able to play any clips of him from this show without having to bleep out every other word that he says. Mm. He's hilarious, though. Robin Hood Season 3, which just concluded on BBC America, is now available. A lot of cast changes occurred, but if you like the previous years, you'll like this one. I did. And for Chrissy, Top Gear, the complete <laughs> season 11 and 12 are out as separate sets, and it's pretty much what you expect with James May, Jeremy Clarkson, and Richard Hammond going gaga for all kinds of vehicles. Chrissy has never seen Top Gear, is that right? Nope, nope, that's correct. It's kind of a guy show. My car's white. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yep. Yo, ho, yo, ho, a pirate's life for me. We plunder, we rifle and loot, drink up, be hearty, yo ho. We kidnap and ravage and don't give a hoot, drink up, be hearty, yo ho. Yo ho, yo ho, a pirate's life for me. 
So our feature this week is how to acquire TV from Britain and is it legal? And to start off with, we have an interview with Nicholas J. Mitchell. He's a lawyer and he answers a number of questions about video and the different ways of acquiring TV from abroad. It's very educational. We're here today with Nicholas J. Mitchell. Hi. Nicholas, tell me what you do. Well, I am an attorney in the Seattle area. I work with Hughes Media Law Group, and we are a boutique law firm uh, specializing in digital media, content distribution, interactive entertainment, television production, uh, movie production, and online software services for content distribution. Okay. So, a little bit of everything. <laughs> and you know about copyright and intellectual property. Well, that's the tools of the trade for me, yes. We probably should say that this is not official legal advice you're giving. You're just kind of giving us an overview on things, so... Exactly. Yeah, nothing here creates a attorney-client relationship. It's my views and my opinions only. And uh, as always, if you have more detailed questions, always contact a lawyer. Right. Okay. <laughs> you got that out of the way. So, where does the law currently stand for recording programs off television? Well, it depends. If it's for personal consumption within a home, uh, sometimes you are able to have an exemption from the copyright law because you're making a digitized copy for your personal backup and archival purposes. If you're uh, recording for uh, distribution to third parties, whether it's for sale or whether it's not for sale, uh, you may be in an area where you're infringing other people's intellectual property. But it is safe to have it in your own house for your use. That is legal. That is legal. So if you if you're going back to you know the 80s, if you're recording something on a VHS tape for the television show that you like to watch, and you wanted to have that, you're able to do that. Uh, with technology today, if you're uh, recording something, if you have a, a feed from let's say uh, some online service that's allowing you to watch television legally through your computer. Uh, and you're able to record that, and you have that on your hard drive for archival purposes, and you want to watch it again, you're able to do that. If you're recording and you're distributing it to third parties, it gets a little little, little gray there. Okay, I have a DVR, <laughs> for example. It's hooked up to the cable, yes. and so it's got a hard drive on it, mm -hmm. and then I can make a DVD from that. You could do that. And I can keep that myself. You can keep that yourself. Okay, so what am I buying when I purchase a commercial DVD of a movie or TV show? What you're buying is, uh, to be honest, you're buying a license, and you're buying a license to be able to, to view that in your home for non-commercial purposes. When you're purchasing uh, a DVD, I mean, you're also buying the physical disc, but primarily what the, motion, the, the major motion picture companies and television companies are providing you is, is a personal consumption license. What most consumers don't realize is when they're purchasing that is that the license that you're acquiring when purchasing that DVD or, or video is personal to you and it's, it's a very limited use. Most people believe once they purchase it, it's theirs and they can do what they want with it. That is typical with other properties. So if you buy a house, you could do whatever you want with it. Or if you buy a car, you can drive it off a cliff if you really want to. But when it comes to intellectual property, it's limited to the individual person as opposed to being able to sell it down the line. There is a the market of saying, I'm going to you know, sell my used DVDs on Craigslist, or I'm going to sell my videos that I have at a yard sale, for example. You can do that, and there's a legal term called the first sale doctrine in the United States that allows you to take property which you've purchased and then sell that property to a third party, again, under the same terms in which you've purchased it. So if I sold my DVD here to Ryan, you could watch it, and you could have it in your house, and you could have it. If you went to then try to commercially exploit that in another way, you'd be breaching the initial terms of the license that I acquired from the movie studio for buying the CD, and then you'd be in the realm of, of copyright infringement. Let's say I record a TV show here in Seattle, mm -hmm. and a friend of mine in Cleveland records a different TV show. Mm -hmm. Can we trade tapes? In other words, we're not copying them. We're taking the off-the-air recording, because he's got some show that I wanted to see, and I've got a show that he wants to see, and we send each other a tape, one-to-one. -one. Mm -hmm. Is that legal? Is that piracy? Depends on how you do it. Okay. And I'll say that. If, if in a situation where you said, hey, I've got this great show, I'd totally, you know, I'd love to let you borrow it, and you can borrow it, and I, I got a show I want to send you, and we send the hard, the physical hard copy to each other right. in the mail, let's yeah. say. Technically, I mean, it depends on 
It's not a loan. I'm talking about actually trading. I mean, you, yeah, you like give them... I'm going to trade, I'm going to trade, and you're going to trade. Yes. It depends on the original license that was granted to you as a consumer to view the initial content. And the reason I say that is if you look at, say, the uh, the National Football League in the United States, they're very explicit. That, oh, yeah, they have the disclaimer that comes They have their disclaimer, right. right? And so it, it depends if the content that you're actually producing has that type of, uh, of a restriction put into it. Well, let's say something off-network television. If it's off-network television, again, you know, I, it's hard to say one way or not that you wouldn't be in an area where there would be infringement. If you're copying yourself and it's your for your personal use and you've decided that you're going to swap, what the argument would be from the, uh, let's say, the, the network would be that you're exchanging our goods for another good of value and you don't have the right to do that. So they could come in and say that you are infringing their intellectual property by distributing it to a third party. Your argument, of course, would be hey, you know, I'm not getting any monetary value here. We're just swapping a show that we both liked. And, you know, it's still kind of a gray area in that because the argument now is that the distribution modes are allowing for unlimited swapping. Right? Yes. And in a limited case where you're just giving a copy to your friend who you want them to see the show and you want to talk about it, right? you may be in a situation where, you know, the, the comp, uh, like, let's say an NBC may want you to come in and they'll, they'll try to get an injunction from you to do that. And they could file a lawsuit against you because they would say that you're distributing their intellectual property. That being said, whether they would do that in a case where, you know, you're providing a, a copy that you've made yourself on your personal equipment for your home consumption and you just want to send it to your cousin who you think would love the show, I doubt that the industry would care so much about that. Because there's not an economic value for you as a person in making money from that. If you were in some way profiting economically from that, then they might actually come in and say, wait a second, you're redistributing our content for commercial purposes. I say economic purposes because that's usually a trigger. However, under the law, there is no exchange for economic value necessary for it to be copyright infringement. Right. I can say that from the actual... The way the law is written in doing that, you may be in a position where you'd find yourself being, you know, getting a letter from somebody saying, you've committed copyright infringement from our goods, knock it off. The reality, though, in this day and age, in the scenario that you've given, I don't think that you'd be in a position where a content per, a distributor or a content creator, such as like an NBC or, or the BBC or uh, ABC would really care that much. But they'd have a right to care if but they, they wanted to. But they'd have a that's, right to that's care. That's what I'm yeah. trying to yeah, get yeah. Not, have, not that they're, I expect not, NBC not, to come knocking. <laughs> they're going to come yeah. knocking on your door. And, Jeff Silverman, you know. <laughs> no, but I think they would, they, they would have the right to care, and they'd have the right to come in and say, what you're doing potentially infringes our intellectual property. Is it pretty much when it leaves their house? No, when it becomes less of a personal use. To give you an example, if you said, I'm take, I have this, this copy of a, of a show. Right. I'm going to take it with me. I'm going over to my friend's house, and we're going to watch it. Right. You, you would be in an area where it's still personal consumption for you and you're just showing it to another person. Right. If you're in a position where you begin to do a mail order or you're doing, uh, even if it's free, and you're just sending out copies to people who would love to see it, and they say, hey, Ryan, we love the show. You have a copy of it. Can I get it? Uh, it no longer becomes personal consumption to you, and that's where you step into the area of the... But again, I was talking about not copying things. It's just your original off-the-air recording. Well, even if it's original yeah. off-the-air recording, right. it's no longer a personal consumption for you. Okay. It's now becoming a third-party consumption of, of your property. And that's where it becomes that little gray area. All right. Because if you went yourself and yes. bought it and you're in somebody's house and you're watching it, it's still personal consumption to you. But when you remove yourself from the equation, but you're providing it to your friend who's going to watch it in their house. What if my friend came over and borrowed it? If your friend came over and borrowed it, you'd still be in the area where it's no longer personal consumption to you. Oh. But again, you know, you're in this gray area of where it'd be impossible. It's impossible to enforce. It's impossible to police. The content producing industries really care about is that their content doesn't lose economic value. And that's what they focus on when they look at infringement. Well, they may have a right to care. It's very unlikely that they would simply because you allowing your friend to borrow a copy of a movie that, or your recording of a movie or your recording of a show, it, at that small level is unlikely to derive them or deprive them of that economic value that they really care about. Uh, and that's where they get into issues like BitTorrent and Pirate Bay and, right. uh, you know, where they, they really are like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was, trying to, I was trying to get, you know, a fine line here. What, what you legally are completely on legal ground here and what, you know, not saying they would come after you, but that they would. Yeah. Opening that with a bigger thing. What I've done for the last 20 years is 
basically the same thing. I record a show off the air and I trade with a guy in England who's mm-hmm. doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not copying shows. Mm-hmm. I send him my off the air master and he sends me his recording off the air as well. Mm-hmm. And I would assume that under your definition here, this is a third party of you, thing. You could, you could find your, and I'll, 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 I would say you, you could find yourself in a position where you could receive, you know, the, the dreaded cease and desist letter right. of doing this activity. The scenario that you're providing, I don't think they're going to care. But, I'll, but here's the, the interesting thing that, that comes along with especially exchanges and distribution between the UK and the US. Okay. When you're making a, a show, whether it is a movie, whether it's a television show, whether it's a network television show, or whether it's an indie television show, uh, you know, the final product is, is a soup of a lot of different rights that are provided to create that. And so, you know, it could be as, as, um, as blatant as the, the title song to the show may only have rights to be distributed within the UK, mm. or it may only have rights to be distributed in the US. The same goes with the actors' guilds and the rights of their, the, the rights of celebrity and those actors may be limited to distribution within the United States. And so when you're looking at exchanging television shows between, let's say, the UK and the US, or you know, France and the US, or even Canada to some extent, the rights that, are, that go into making that product may not actually be allowed for distribution in the UK or the US. So not only do you have, an, you have a situation where exchanging back and forth moves away from that personal consumption, but the underlying rights into creating that product may not allow for a transfer between the United States and the UK. I assume then it's piracy to for me to go to amazon.co.uk, buy a DVD, Region 2 DVD that's been released in Britain but not available here, and have it shipped over here. Well, not necessarily, because you're purchasing for personal consumption. So whether the utilization or not, for, for the purposes of buying a show, uh, whether you can watch it or not, isn't the issue. It's, you're buying it for yourself. So you can buy it. Now, a Region 2 DVD, yes, they're, they, um, it hasn't been officially released in the U.S. And so what normally would happen in a situation, and this, is, and this is comes down, you know, there, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes negotiations when you distribute content. So if it's, if it's being pressed onto a CD and it's available on Amazon UK and it's allowed for being, you know, it's allowed to be shipped into the United States, then the, it's likely, and I can't, you know, it's all different instances, but it's likely that, the, that you have the rights to ship it into the United States and that whatever rights were necessary to be cleared for an international distribution have been cleared by that distributor. The Region 2 versus Region 1 DVD issue, I think, is something that eventually, you know, it was initially put in to protect that, ex- that specific instance wow. where you have content that doesn't have the rights to be distributed and it, it's limited to that area. I think you're going to see that in the next 10 years go away, which is going to be a unified. Because of online distribution, to be honest, the hardware capacity will become much more universal and that there will be other methods used to police content. If, you know, the BBC is taking their movies and they're transporting them onto DVDs and they're using Amazon as a distribution model to reach the U.S., then I would say that importing those DVDs, whether or not you can actually watch them, but importing those DVDs, the rights behind the scenes are going to allow for that. Now, if you're purchasing them off Amazon from, you know, Harry's Discount DVD store and they're $10 a pop and, you know, likely what you're purchasing is something that doesn't have the rights cleared for them to do that. And Amazon, you know, if they receive complaints from those distributors, will yank those people off. I'd be interested to test this because there was a 1996 Doctor Who TV movie that was produced by Fox in this country, but Universal was the company that made it. Mm-hmm. And it was shown on Fox. It was co-production of the BBC. And because of this, they can't release it on home video in this country. Really? Yes. Okay. Not available, even after 13 years. Well, and that, and But that, it is available in Britain. But it is available in Britain, yeah. <laughs> and I was wondering if I could go to the Amazon.co.uk thing and, and tip on that and say, send me a, a DVD of this. But it, So it's available? Well, I mean, it depends. If you're purchasing it directly from Amazon, uh, and it's through the BBC sales, and they're now selling it into the market, but yeah. it's not available for consumption here. It's like you couldn't purchase it from BBC America here, but you right. purchase it from there. It, it would be interesting to see what the, what the license and what the contracts actually say when it was developed and where it could be distributed. I mean, personally, and this, this isn't legal advice to give, but I would say that if it's being sold directly to you, there is an inherent warranty of merchantability from a salesperson. And that's a legal term, but that basically means what they're selling you, you can use. Hmm. And it's good. So BitTorrent definitely is, is blatantly illegal. Mm-hmm. It's piracy. Yep. 
So nowadays they have technology, they have streaming video from mm-hmm. other countries. You can actually watch live feeds mm-hmm. from the Netherlands and Ireland and Britain. I assume that is piracy as well, right? Well, it depends on what you mean by live feeds. Are you talking about like a news agency? Are you talking about a television? Television network. Television network. Like watching BBC One as Mm -hmm. a live stream. You're seeing it as it's going out in the UK. Yes. You would say that the person who's distributing the content obviously is violating their intellectual property. Now, there's a term of, of law that really was a footnote in copyright law until Napster, and that's called vicarious liability. And vicarious liability is that you've enabled other people to infringe, right? So, so the infringer is usually the person who's consuming. So I, took, I, I got online and I found this feed for BBC and I'm watching it. So technically, yes, you're infringing that intellectual property if you're not supposed to watch it. Now, the person who's actually distributing it, and this is why Napster got in trouble, uh, and this is why BitTorrent gets in trouble and Goxter and, and all these, and Pirates Bay for that, exa- for that instance, is they enable it. Uh-huh. We're, not, we're not telling anybody to steal anything. We just have it in a peer-to-peer system. But in a peer-to-peer system, obviously, you know, you don't have a centralized hub of stuff sitting somewhere on a server. What you have is you have software that enables users to find stuff on each other's hard drives and share that. So what the courts have found in the United States, as well as in the UK, and Europe as a whole is getting much tougher on intellectual property um, infringement and piracy. But what, you, what, what they found is that the provider of that service, so the Napster of the world or a Goxter or BitTurrent, they're not providing any transactions. They're just providing the software. And so they're vicariously liable for infringement because they've created the tools. And, then, and they're allowing people to use those tools to trade. And then the people who are trading are infringers, directly infringing in that regard. So that's, that's how it kind of works. Now, in the BBC scenario, if there's somebody who is enabling technology for you to view the stream, or if they're actually somehow unlocking the stream and providing it on their website and you're consuming it, then you yourself would be held to be infringing their content because you're consuming their content illegally. Um, the individual who is unlocking it may not be consuming it, but may, pro- may be providing some tools that allow for it to be unlocked. They may be held to be vicariously liable for infringement or you know in the circumstance where it's I acquired some tools that are out there to go through data feeds so the person who created these tools that may or may not have any contact with the person who's unlocking this feed that person just because they have put the tools out there may be held vicariously liable for infringement the person unlocking the content may also be held to be vicariously liably infringing because he's giving it to people and also directly infringing because he's violating the terms of use for this content for unlocking it. So it gets to be this kind of shell game morass of who's doing what. But unfortunately, the way that the laws are drafted now is that, you know, even if you don't intend to infringe, but you provide access or you provide software, you could be held to be vicariously infringing content, even though you don't even look at it. So it is piracy. It is piracy. In okay. the short term. Yes, it is piracy. I'm sorry. It is piracy. <laughs> All right. Well, we cleared that up. What a lot of stations are doing around the world now, like Flash Forward, for example, is pretty much being shown same week everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's their attempt to catch up with piracy. More recently, BBC America has run the new Doctor Who specials a day after they showed in Britain. Exactly. Yeah. And I I assume that is to head off piracy. Look, if we give you this, don't pirate it. Content needs to be made immediately available. After it's after it's initially uh, distributed, so you have the Doctor Who specials coming out the day after, right? Uh, and it's also the education process within the community. And they're saying, listen, you know, if you're if you conduct piracy and you're you're not paying for these goods, it affects the artists. And so they're softening their their approach to it in an effort to educate the population that that you know when you download something from BitTorrent, it is the victimless crime, at least what you think it is. But in reality, it is actually stealing. I mean, it's just like going into a store and taking a candy bar off the, sh- the shelf and walking out. Now, the clerk may not notice that you did that, and they've got plenty of candy bars there, but it does, it, I mean, it's the exact, it is actually the same thing. It's become culturally accepted that you can, that you just, well, I'll download this, or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get on BitTurrent, and I'll do a search, and I'll pull this stuff out, or I'll go on to Pirates Bay, or, or Grokster, or, you know, and in some way, I guess, and maybe this was in, you know, the late 90s. With Napster. With Napster, yeah. It just became culturally accepted that that was okay. But they were actually able to recover from that, which I was surprised by, because I did think that the music business was going to go down the toilet because of Napster. And then Apple swung in with iTunes Mm -hmm. and said, look, pay 99 cents for these things. Pay the artist who make the music that you like. Buy it legitimately. And people said, okay, we will. Exactly. Infringement becomes almost 
second nature to everything you do. There was a study that was put out that the average American, whether they know it or not, infringes intellectual property 15 times a day. Really? Yeah. For an example, if you said, hey, take my DVD and go watch it and give it back to me. No, right. but that, but I mean, I think things that I wouldn't be aware of that were that obvious that are. So I don't own DVDs out 15 times a day. So what... if you play loud music in your car, really, and somebody else hears it outside, that's considered a public performance, and you owe the publisher a royalty for that. Wow. Now, none of this is ever collected. No, no, but, I, but I, it's that's interesting. That is where the line that, is. That is. Let's say I've, I've got some music on my iPhone, mm -hmm. and I share my earbud with somebody. Technically, that could be considered copyright. Wow. All right. Well, uh, I think that's it. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this. Oh, for sure. And very educational. Well, thank you so much. If you don't mind, if people have questions, of course, you know, always consult an attorney. And if they have any questions, I can always be reached at uh, nmitchell at hughesmedialawgroup.com. We'll have a link on our website. Oh, great. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. All right. There's an hour-long version of our interview available on our website where we talked about all sorts of interesting things and you can find a link in our show notes if you wish to hear the entire extended version of that. And after we uh, turned off the mics, Nicholas said something very interesting, I wish I had recorded it, where he thinks that within five years, DVD as a format will be dead. Oh. I said, really? He says, yep, we're all going to be streaming. We'll all have broadband internet access and everything will be on demand and you just order it and you pay for it, much like iTunes works. And I said, hmm, what about those people with the DVD collections? A lot of people like to have them physical objects and own it. He says, yeah, people of our generation like that. But the kids, they don't care. They buy music online. They download it onto their iPods. They don't own anything physical. They don't need that. Well, it'll save some room. I definitely got back a, a huge bookcase once I bought my DVD burner and turned all my VHS tapes into slim little DVDs that I could put 240 in a notebook so i have not converted my vhs tapes yet no. i just i bought a bigger house so i can store them all you'd have to hire three assistants to get those all converted in a timely manner i think each with their own setups yeah ryan's got quite the collection right but i thought that was very just an interesting comment and a friend of mine who is very much in the know on dvd he wrote dvd demystified and he's working on blu-ray demystified and he certainly knows about it in his christmas letter kind of thought the same thing that their companies are aiming towards streaming and that's where it's going to be, rather than owning a physical object. So we will see. The other thing Nicholas said was that, you know, same-day release would happen. Everything would be worldwide. So when Doctor Who or whatever you like is showing in Britain, it'll be available here. You can pay, pay for it and buy it. And that's the global way it's going, because a study showed, you'll hear this in the extended interview, that someone in Britain predicted that in five years, their model of making money from exporting TV is going to be nil money because of piracy and other, other factors. They need to get with the program of where the world is going if they want to keep making money from their TV shows. Have you read the book Making History by Stephen Fry? It's, it was written over 10 years ago, and there's an alternate reality that's created by uh, sterilizing Hitler's mother so that Hitler's never born. But And a lot of what is we're left with is the world is worse, but the technology is better, and computers are just far more advanced in the current day. And so you see somebody from um, the, our reality transported to this new reality, and he's, well, where's the computer? Well, that's a, that's, we, you don't have a computer. That's just a box somewhere. You just have the terminal to access this big box that everyone shares. And he predicted a lot very, very well 12, 13 years ago, including just the whole streaming and, and not having physical things there, but just getting things on demand when you needed them. Highly recommended as a good yarn, too. Oh. Making History by Stephen Fry. Anything by Stephen Fry would be worth checking out. Well, what's interesting, science fiction gets in a lot of stick because they pretty much got the whole home computer revolution wrong completely. Everyone had predicted, you know, we're talking the 40s and 50s and 60s, that there would be these massive mainframes and we would mm -hmm. all have terminals. But instead, of course, we all ended up owning our own computers because they got so cheap and so powerful. But in a way, the science fiction writers may have had the last laugh because it's cloud computing that we maybe go back to having dumb boxes that connect to one big mainframe someplace mm -hmm. where everything is, is all stored and all the real calculations and stuff are done. So maybe this whole owning your own computer thing is just was a big fad. Just a blink in time. Get rid of that Microsoft stock. <laughs> so, as we promised, how to get programs from Britain. So we'll talk you through the various ways that we've done and you may choose which ones you want to do, keeping in mind what Nicholas said about which is legal and which isn't. 
obviously the most legit way is to watch TV. Uh, mm-hmm. You can get a lot of British TV shows on PBS and cable. Yeah, that's where I got started. But this was the real early days of cable, and they were just trying to fill their their times with whatever they could. And so A&E in those days showed Blackadder. It showed French and Saunders, Smith and Jones. That's where and, I got the 80s Day of the Triffids from was an E.D. Uh, showing. Yeah, and I, I recorded one show that people just go mad for and always want me to um, record for them, which was a mini a little show called um, Honest, Decent, and True because it was an early Gary Oldman and Richard E. Grant show and adrian edmondson from the young ones was had a major role in it too and it was heavily improvised it was about an advertising agency and that was shown repeatedly on a and e so that's where i got started and i still have some things that i've never seen since that were shown on a and e but nowadays there's the there's time. a lot more thing bbc Barrick, obviously mm-hmm. i between ifc comedy central's running stuff uh Adult Swim is running repeats of The Office. and They've been doing the boosh, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, there are places to see stuff. And PBS is still pretty reliable. I mean, our station here, is, a lot of stuff is, the dramas and things are, comedies are popping up and things like that. So that's certainly one way of seeing things, which is totally legal, and you yeah. can record them yourself. And also some things are showing up on DVD here without ever being shown broadcast in the U.S., like Bob and Rose and The Second Coming to Russell T. Davis, things that I don't believe at all aired even on cable, but came out on NTSC DVD for renting and buying. Right. So we try to keep you appraised of what the DVD releases are. Mm -hmm. The second thing, would, as Nicholas said quite surprisingly, was you can buy DVDs direct from Mm Amazon.co.uk, which I was surprised was... He said was kosher, but he says, oh, yeah, Amazon has got that all checked out. And if they wouldn't sell to you, if they couldn't do it. So you can go through their catalog. And if you hear of some shows here, take a look. Maybe they're available over there. And you can buy them and you have a region-free DVD player. You're in business. And again, totally legit. So, so we hear. The next thing is trading, which is pretty much what I have done since the late 80s. I would find someone in England who would tape TV shows for me, and I would send them American shows, usually Star Trek or other science fiction shows, and they would send me uh, programs I like. And it's not cheap, and it's not fast, and Mm -hmm. it's really kind of hard to find someone who's reliable, but it does sort of work. Yeah, I didn't have a trading partner early, but I have a friend who did, and as you, he would tape, tape Star Trek The Next Generation, send it off to this village in Scotland where they would actually book up a function room at their pub and all the people who liked Star Trek in all of the village would come and they'd have Star Trek nights, which is just delightful. I wish I could have been there for some of that. And then in turn, my friend would get these tapes sent over from the 80s and early 90s as well. Yeah, that's pretty much what I've spent the last 17 years doing since I was living over there, getting tapes that my friend over there tapes for me, and he just kind of knows what I like, because you know, by the time he could write me a letter and say, oh, do you want this show? It'd be over, because they only run for six weeks. Well, he's the one who doesn't do email, right? Right. He's <laughs> <laughs> very low-tech. At any one time, I'm usually like six or nine months behind in watching stuff, but it always gives me a lot of different things to look at, so... And it kind of forced me to watch stuff that I probably wouldn't watch normally. Probably if I was living in England, I wouldn't watch a lot of these mm-hmm. documentaries. But, I'll, you know, it's there, so I'll sit and watch it. Yeah. And so it exposes me to a lot more TV than probably the average person in England. Well, he had done just a few little clips to fill up the ends of tapes of Darren Brown's early specials. And you loaned them to me. And that's how I discovered Darren Brown. And so I got in touch with one of my friends over there when I knew he was going to have his first series and had her tape it. So, yeah, you do discover things <coughs> that you might not have chosen to watch if you were sitting down in front of the television, but because it's on the tape, you discover something all new and exciting. But it's pretty hard to set up something like that, and most people do not have the patience for that these Mm -hmm. days, because we have good old BitTorrent, which it's fast, and you don't have to really deal with anybody person to person. There's supposed to be this sort of trend that you are expected to upload as much as you download, or at least be a feeder. And there's various other sites around the internet to find things. Pirate Bay, which uh, Nicholas mm-hmm. mentioned, which is constantly trying to shut down by the uh, government over there. But uh, And there's The Box, right? The Box, membership only. I think they've pushed it up to about, they'll take up to 100,000 members, though. And again, you're the longer you are a member of it, the more you're expected to have uploaded as opposed to download. I've never found it hard at all to stay. I've uploaded 
more than twice of what I've downloaded, and it's never been hard for me to maintain this ratio. Usually with the box, if it's the first episode of a series, even if it's not the first series but the second or third, they will say it's free, meaning you can download it without affecting your ratio. And then if you like it and you choose to download the rest, then, then you are expected to upload as well to make up for it. Um, but the box is great because it has everything, and it has radio, and I love British radio. I um, have a comedian over there, and a number of his old shows were available through Audible, so I bought them. But there were a few that Audible had wasn't releasing, and I found it on the box, so it was great. I've got his whole collection now. I, I kind of laugh that people doing pirating have rules. You know, pirate rules! Mm -hmm. Do not break our pirate rules, or we will send our pirate guys after you. Which is very much the case, too, with streaming live video. Mm-hmm which I've discovered through my P2P, and I will have a link to that on our show notes as well. And originally I started out with a program called British TV, simply enough, and it worked great through the summer and the fall, and then it died. The streams were discovered and encoded, so they were no longer accessible. And that was replaced by something called Jack TV, which worked for about a week and a half, mm -hmm. and then that died. And now there's something called Stream Torrent. And you have to find the feeds. They constantly keep changing them. It's not the people providing them that are changing them. It's the cable companies and the broadcasters who are discovering that these streams exist and then encoding them or moving them to someplace else. And somebody else has to then find where they've moved them. And there's this constant game going on. And as they also kind of get upset when people steal their streams and broadcast them to people on the internet. Like, you know, how dare you take this thing that we've stolen and, and give it to somebody else? That's stealing! Somehow, this is ironic to me, but people don't quite understand that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as of right now, I can't get anything to work on streaming. So uh, we're back to the old-fashioned way, which is I'm just going to watch my tapes because I've got them. <laughs> but who doesn't make him back to life? Because uh, British TV had been dead for a month and a half, and then over Christmas it worked perfectly, which is hmm. great because I was able to see the Doctor Who special and a couple of other things, and then it died. So you have to constantly be reading boards and finding out where the new links for that thing. So it's very program intensive and you're constantly changing things and chasing this whole attempt to uh, get streaming video. Of course, everything is live. So if you are on the West Coast like we are, that means primetime in Britain is between noon and three o'clock in the afternoon. If you're at work, you probably wouldn't be able to do it. And... So if you only get home and are in front of the computer at night, you would all see would be programming from 2 o'clock in the morning, which isn't very good. Hmm. So there's that. But hopefully, like we said, the TV channels will get on the mark there and start to give us this, or not sell us this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, how much would you pay to get access to iPlayer, which is the BBC's on-demand online service? That we can't use here, but if for they, radio. But if they yeah. were saying, mm -hmm. "Oh yeah, twenty-five dollars a month, and, and you can get access to that." Well, I, I don't, I don't bit torrent something I can buy, but if it's television shows, then I will. But if it's a DVD, I, I, I kind of, I don't want to screw the people out of the money there. But if it's something I can't buy, and the only way for me to see it is to find another tape player trader, because I'm sort of between them right now in the UK, or bit torrent it, or go to YouTube, I'm going to do one of those things. I try to promote this stuff, you know. I, I've probably uh, done more promotion for television than yeah. I've ever absorbed here. But uh, but I buy from Amazon UK, too. All my favorites. When Eddie Izzard comes out with something new, I have to order it right away. Versus I could BitTorrent it, but I don't. Yeah, and you buy yeah. from Amazon OK, and mm -hmm. Eddie Izzard gets a check. Right. That's great. I think that's the thing is, you know, if they can figure out a way. I think that's why people grooved on iTunes so much was, hey, the artist gets the check. Mm -hmm. Not paying some pirate or some guy in, a, in an alley or buying a bootleg or whatever like that. Because no one really wants to rip off their favorite artists, even no matter how rich they are. Mm -hmm. You're thinking, hey, they worked for it and this is how they make a living. You just want the money to go in the right hands. Which hopefully will happen. Yep, and I have a YouTube channel that I have put years and years worth of Eddie Izzard clips of all over the world that I've, because I have relatives in Australia that tape him there and everything. But there was a clip that had been on a tape that was out of print, so I put it up there, but they just re-released this on DVD, so I took it off because I don't want somebody who only wanted to see the Eddie part not to buy the DVD because it's a charity DVD. Oh. So I guess you have to arrive at a place in your head that it seems fair. I definitely don't want it, people to rip off our artists, you know? I yeah, have, no, I understand so. that. 
Again, there's moral gray areas, as Nicholas mm-hmm. said here. And if you want to see stuff from England and, and you have a huge voracious appetite like uh, we do, yeah, you might be crossing some lines there. And then you take responsibility for that. And maybe you will get a cease and desist letter someday. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But we're hoping that things are going to change because the technology is changing and they're going to wake up and say, hey, there's a market for this. And the beauty of it is, is that you are aiming directly for the consumers, you know. For them to sell a show to cable TV or a network or whatever, you know, they have to convince the cable channel that there is a market for that. You know, we can't get QI here because they think it's too intelligent for Americans. It won't get good ratings, mm-hmm. which may be true. But hey, maybe there's 20,000 people who'd say, hey, I'd pay 99 cents an episode to watch QI. Sell them directly to that, that you don't have to have this mass market television model going on. And maybe all TV will be that way. I mean, we've got something coming up next month. Obviously, the Olympics are going to be on. And the Olympics are big. And they always will be big because it's a big event. People want to see that. That's what networks exist for is to bring you those kind of programs. But maybe, you know, oddball comedies and, and uh, quirky dramas, and things like that will be more niche kind of things. And rather than have to get 7 million viewers a week to stay on the air, they can be sold directly to people who want to see those kind of shows. And again, maybe taking the uh, the box model, the first one's free. Get people interested in their show, and there you go. And if they could get a financing model for this, where you can convince people, the money people who actually pay for TV shows, to uh, take a risk and say, yeah, we'll sink a million dollars into this show and make it uh, in the hopes that we can sell directly to consumers, that's the way to go. Because certainly they've proven that the DVD aftermarket has proven that there is a life for shows and that they can uh, be monetized, as they mm-hmm. like to say, and they have value. So we will speak with our dollars and hopefully we will be heard next week. Give me ideas. Hmm. How about Julie Graham? Okay. I don't know a lot about Julie, but I like what I've seen her in. That's all it, all like it a takes. Sweetheart. Julie sounds great. I first saw her. Julie in... and her lovely gapped teeth. Yes. <laughs> she does a very interesting tooth work. Originally, I first saw her in At Home with the Braithwaites. Mm-hmm. And then she was in the Martin Clunes show. William and Mary. William and Mary. Yeah. And now appearing in Survivors and on PBS on Bone Kickers. So lots of yep. things to see her in there. And one of Michael Parkinson's favorites. Ah, maybe I can drink up that clip from Parky there. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about Julie Graham next week. Sounds great. Meanwhile, you should come visit our website, BritishTVPodcast.com, where you can get links to news articles, show notes, and we'll have various links to the things we've talked about here. If you wish to check them out here, I don't know if this makes us a uh, vicarious provider or not, but uh, you could do your own research there. You can get the hour-long version of our interview with uh, Nicholas. And what's on TV this week. Also, you can send us feedback at feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas, suggestions, things like that. Yeah, suggestion for our topic of the week. We'd love it. We'll do it. We've got some things boiling, but uh, it's a lot of it depends on what comes out there. And so hopefully we can find 52 things to talk about this year. Oh, my God. Oh, we're in the middle of the teens already, so that's something. Oh, yes, yeah, so show 15, right. Mm-hmm. So we'll be back next week with show 16. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>